All right, let's get into the word. First uh, Samuel chapter 30 is where we will be spending a lion's share of our time today. Again, another uh, familiar passage uh, for many of you. And even though the title doesn't say so, um, it's really still in line with the theme of last week's message of God being our source. But today's message is just Ziklag. David strengthens himself in the Lord. Ziklag, David strengthens himself in the Lord. I'll read the first six verses and then we'll see where God wants to take us. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Now, to fully understand the significance of this moment for David, uh, we must first consider the events that led up to this moment and the choices David made along the way. This, like many of us, is one of David's worst fears, I'm sure. It'd be one of my worst fears to come home and find my loved ones, my wife and girls, gone. My place has been ransacked, and whoever did it took them, and, and I don't know what may become of them. This is a worst nightmare situation. This is your worst fear come to pass. But in order to fully grasp what this means and, and what David is going to, uh, what it, what, in order to fully grasp what it meant for David to encourage or strengthen himself in the Lord, we cannot ignore how we got here. Now, David is one of my heroes in the Bible. He has some crazy highs and he has some crazy lows. He was a man after God's own heart. And he did some things that were completely contrary to God's own heart. Somehow, some way, you know, one of the reasons he's my hero is that it was through him and through his mess ups that I saw it as possible that God could redeem me. I'm glad that God doesn't hide all the details, even those that aren't flattering towards a man of David's stature in the Bible. Because it, 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 it highlighted for me that, oh, I don't have to be perfect to walk with God. The, 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 the parts of my life 
that are a tragedy, the part of my life that are atrocious, the part of my life where I made decisions and walked in ways that were unspeakable and ungodly, those things aren't a hindrance for God redeeming me and bringing me unto himself and fulfilling his purpose and call in my life. Because he did that with David despite some issues. Now, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to paraphrase. It would take too long to go through it. But we all remember the story of David and Goliath. David became a great warrior under King Saul. And he had many victories. And people loved him. They began to sing a song. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And so he began to be more popular than the king. And the king had a problem with that. His, his eye turned sour towards David. So much so, he spent six chapters trying to kill David. From 1 Samuel chapter 19... The first, uh, 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 first Samuel chapter 24, or 24, 25, he's trying to kill David eight times. He tried to get his son to kill him. His son wouldn't do it. He tried to get his daughter, whom he had given to him in marriage, to try and partner in a conspiracy to kill David. He tried to kill him with the spear several times. He tried to use the Philistines in battle to kill him. When he challenged him, he said, you got to go kill 100 Philistines before you can even have my daughter. He killed 200. But he was hoping he wouldn't survive that. And there were a couple of times where he repented, quote unquote. Said he had a change of heart and wouldn't do it again. And then he would go back on his word and try to kill him. So eventually David Despite God sparing his life, despite God protecting him, if God can protect you through eight assassination attempts, I I think you're in pretty good hands. You're probably, just stay with God, I think you'll be all right. But at some point, David reached a breaking point. And he said, you know what? Uh, If I stay here, this guy's going to kill me. So David leaves. He takes 600 men with him, and he goes to the enemy of God's people, the Philistines. He takes his life and his future in his own hands. God didn't tell him to do that. He decided to do that because he just had enough. And, And when would one of these assassination attempts be successful? We don't know. I'm just going to remove myself. From the situation. So he left the land of the people of God and went and partnered up with the Philistines. Now, he wanted the Philistines to think he was on their side, but he really wasn't. So he was trying to work both sides of it. He was trying in his own wisdom to finesse the situation. And he was under the leadership of Achish. They're in in the Philistine armies in battle, and and, and David, he he lied. The man of God, the man of God who has a heart after God's own heart, lied so easily and so effectively. 
it's, it's pretty impressive, to tell you the truth. He made Achish think that him and his 600 men were going against the people of God and performing raids against them and slaughtering them when he was really going throughout the land of Canaan and raiding the Amalekites and a couple of other tribes. And, and he couldn't let his, this truth be revealed to Achish, otherwise the gig would be up. So when he raided those places, he killed everybody. Men, women, he did not leave anyone who could testify and expose his rules. But right along time, uh, chapter 29 comes along. They're getting, the Philistines are getting ready to go to battle. And Achish wants David and his men, who he thinks is loyal to him, to be a part of the battle. But the generals, the Philistine generals, were not fooled and they were having nothing of it. They were like, we cannot trust these guys. For all we know, for all we know, we'll get into the middle of the battle and, and, and he might turn on us and kill us because what better way for him to get back into the good graces of King Saul and the people of God than to come back with our heads? And so despite Achish wanting them to be in battle with them and David and his men having every intention to be in battle and to do exactly what the generals feared that they would do. They, they really wanted to be a part of that battle so that they could do exactly what those Philistine generals feared that they might do. But those generals demanded and Achish had to relent and they said, send them back to the place that's designated for them and their families in this area, and that was Ziklag. There was a time in an earlier chapter where David went to Achish and appealed and asked for a place that would be designated for him and his men and their families, and Ziklag was the place appointed to them. So he conducted his dishonest operations Killed people he didn't have to kill. Imagine that. Not just men, but women. So not just enemy combatants. He killed everybody because he did not want to be exposed. And right when his plan is about to come to fruition... Everything gets disrupted and the generals refuse to fight with him and they're sent to Ziklag. So him and his men are disappointed. If they had their way, they'd be in the battle right now. They traveled 50 miles, took them three days to do it and can, just imagine, they're coming up on this scene they're imagining getting the kisses and hugs from their wives and their kids. They're imagining a home-cooked meal, a warm bed. They're imagining going back to the life that they fight so hard for. But as they're coming up on it, they're seeing smoke. And, and it's not smoke. doesn't look like it's coming from a barbecue pit. This isn't, these, these aren't cooking fires 
This smoke is billowing up. And nobody's running out to meet them. Something is not quite right. Imagine how you'd feel in that moment. And I'm getting, I'm getting to a point here. And they get up on the scene and they realize that they've been raided. All their valuables gone, but most importantly, their most precious possessions, their loved ones, are gone. Uh, there's probably a mixture of a little bit of relief, but a lot of grief because at least they're not seeing the bodies of their loved ones thrown all over the place. That means whoever raided this place took them. And who knows what they have planned for them. And I want us to focus on David in this story because he, he, he is the one that we need to learn from because he has made some choices uh, that, that are not of the Lord. And Ziklag is the culmination of the consequences of those choices. So it says here, the first thing we've noticed is David's distress. David was greatly distressed. Why was he distressed? Well, it says here for the people, his soldiers, his loyal soldiers spoke of stoning him. They're blaming him. When tragedy happens, we look for somebody to blame. That is human nature. But to a certain degree, he is to blame. They're following him, and we can't just ignore that. Not every, we can be a people of God and not always be godly. Two things can be true at the same time. We can love the Lord, and yet we can make a decision that is not in obedience to him, nor is in accordance with his character or his way. Right? And so... David is distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Yeah, I got to thinking about that as I was reading this. You know, he's living out his worst fear. What, what, what would I do? Uh, is, uh, my mind has a hard time even going there. I mean, I'd like to know what, what I think in there, but one of David's worst fears was realized in this story. And, and it made me think, we spend a lot of time praying for God not to allow bad things to happen to us. That's what we, you know, we forget about the scriptures that in this life you will have troubles. We forget about the scripture that many are the afflictions of the righteous. But, right, he's, he's never really said that that, that, that we are going to avoid these things. Life, bad life, is going to happen to us too. But who wants those things? I mean, we certainly don't want to pray for those things. We spend a lot of time praying, God, don't let these things happen. That tends to be where our faith is in our walk with God. We tell God what we don't want to deal with and what we don't want him to let happen. When we should be telling God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whichever path you want me to take, however you want to work in my life, whatever tests of my faith you want me to go through, 
Not my will, but yours be done. Amen? That's, that's what it looks like when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Yield yourself to God. Let's not, let's not be fearful of the worst fear. I mean, yes, there's a reason those are our worst fears. And, and, and we don't want to be actively praying, oh God, test me. Oh God, let somebody take my kids and my wife so I can show that I'm strong in faith. No, we don't want to do that. But we don't want to walk around in fear letting that drive us. We want to be able to trust God so that even if the worst fear comes to pass, we can, we can find a way to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and let God guide us forward. Are, are, are you hearing that? It's, it, it's not, the challenge is not to have faith where we get to avoid all the challenges, right? The, the, it's walking through the challenges, in faith, trusting in God, letting him be our strength, our source, our sustainer, our guide. Amen? Sometimes being able to stand under that kind of pressure and that kind of intense emotional distress is a testimony in and of itself and is an opportunity to give witness that I'm not here standing. My, I would collapse if I was here in my own strength. It is the grace of God that enables me to stand how I'm standing right now. Because there are people going through it that are not standing. They need to know you can stand, but, but you can only stand in him. But when we don't, when we're, when we're constantly praying to God for stuff not to happen to us, then it's impossible. The fruit of that is impossible for us to have faith when we are suddenly faced with the thing we wanted to avoid. Then we're angry at God. I, I told you I didn't want to go through this, and you let me go through it anyway. I prayed. How many times did I pray that this is how I wanted you to work in my life? Right. It sounds like a, you're preaching it for me, brother. <laughs> right. This is how I want you to work in my life rather than, Lord, how do you want to work in my life? However you want to work in my life, I'm down for it. In Jesus' name. What is your worst fear? Maybe you have a list. What are your worst fears? What are the things that you found yourself praying to God, don't let, don't let, don't let, don't want, don't want, don't want? I would challenge you not to, not to put your focus there um, because that puts your focus that puts your focus on fear. That puts your focus on a thing. It distracts you from the presence of God in your life and, and his might and his power to save. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them out of them all. Praise God. We, we want to know the delivering power of God, but guess what we got to go through in order for that to happen? That we got to go through afflictions. And yet, 
We have to be willing to go through afflictions for the glory of God to be made manifest. I mean, we don't have to be gluttons for punishment or anything, but, but, we, but we need to, 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 to get a little bit of what Paul had when he says, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. He's like, I, I'm not trying, hey, hey, Paul, you shouldn't go down there. You know how those people feel about you. There's going to be a lot of strife. There's going to be a lot of trouble, and they're going to try and take you out. And you know what he did? He went down there anyway because he said, whatever resistance there is, I'm going to trust God through it. There are people there that need to be saved, and if I got to walk through a wall of unbelievers, if I got to walk through a wall of people that hate me, people that want me jailed, and people wanting to shut me down, then I will do it for the glory of God. Not for my own glory, but I believe my God can overcome that resistance. Because what God has said to me, speaking like Paul, what God is leading me to go there. And there may be practical reasons for me not to, but those practical reasons fall apart in light of the knowledge that God said go. And that's why, but if we give too much power and too much thought to avoiding the things that we fear, that thing might override what thus saith the Lord and we may choose not to go. You know, I think a little of that happened uh, with Jonah. What did he say? I knew you were a forgiving God. That's the thing that I feared. I feared that if they, that they might repent, and if you repented, then you would stay your hand and you would not judge him. And that's why he did not obey God. And so we got to get a hold of these fears. Otherwise, these fears will lead us to disobey God. And so instead of fearing those worst things coming about, we just got to learn to walk with God wherever he leads us. And if among the challenges we face, some of those things make our fear list, oh, well, God, so be it. Not my will, but yours be done. Are you hearing me? But it said David strengthened himself. Have you ever asked yourself the question, Well, I'm going to read on to eight, and then I'll ask you this. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar threw the ephod, brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely rescue. So, it says that David, who was in great distress, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Then he asked for the ephod, and then he inquired of the Lord. Hey, we're, we're learning some things about David, about how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how could it be possible for David to strengthen himself in the Lord his God when he was probably thinking the Lord his God allowed one of his worst fears to happen? How am I going to strengthen myself in the God who let this happen? Verse 
Don't we, I can't be the only one who's blamed God for my own unfavorable circumstances. But here's one of the things that doesn't often, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone teach on this before, but it doesn't often get said. I think an important aspect that we need to really pay attention to here in David strengthening himself in the Lord is the realization that for the past year and four months, that's almost a year and a half, that he had, that he had not been in the will of God. Remember, he left the land of the people of God for fear of his life being taken by Saul. And from that moment, he had been directing the affairs of his life without inquiring of the Lord. He'd been leaning on his own understanding, doing his own thing. And, it, and there was a measure of success in it. But included in it was dishonesty, deceit, lying, murder. And the culmination of that is Ziklag. He's realizing in this, in this moment, he's ready to inquire of God. In that is a realization that he's where he's at right now for lack of inquiring of God. And you know what else? And here's the thing that really got me. David was so committed to the course of action that he had embarked upon for the past year and four months. If he had his way, he would still be on the battlefield. And who knows how long that battle would have lasted. So it's the providence of God that he fell out of favor with those generals and they refused to fight with him and they sent him back to Ziklag. Because they found out a lot sooner what happened at Ziklag than they would have found out if they had had their way and they were still trying to further the rules that they had against the Philistine army. So it's the providence of God. Sometimes the very things we don't want to happen is God's will. Because calamity happened at home and these men needed to deal with that. They didn't know it. They had their own path that they were marking out. And, and because they were doing that, they were ignorant to what was going on at home. And they traveled three days. And praise God, because of those circumstances, they found out what happened a lot sooner. And they found out in time where something could be done about it. But they, and this is a problem that couldn't be fixed by their own understanding. This is a problem that couldn't be fixed by them conducting themselves the way they'd been conducting business the last year and four months. This was something that they had to do what they hadn't been doing for the last year and a half. They had to go to God. This situation was beyond them. Right? And so, 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 so it was that recognition, that realization, that need that led him to encourage himself in the Lord. I've been doing all this. And I thought I was making gains. I thought I was setting up victory. I thought I had it all lined out. All my ducks were in a row. 
And I realize I'm not God. I don't belong on that throne. It might, it's, it's, it's probably a good idea that I actually turn to the one who is God, who is on the throne. And so when it says he encouraged himself in the Lord, he finally stopped running things according to his own understanding and by his own earthly wisdom and strength. This was one that couldn't be finessed. Guile couldn't help him here. His family was gone. He did not know where they were, where the the enemy's camp was. He had nothing. And, And while he's simultaneously grieving the loss of his two wives and children, his men who are grieving the loss of their wives and children are talking about killing him. So in his grief, he's got to watch his back. But out of all those men, one of them, one of them called out to God. And that was David, the one who was leading them (laughs) by his own will the whole time. So David finally said, you know, I'm grieving. I don't know if I'll ever see my wife and kids again. These men, I don't know if I'll see tomorrow if these men have their way. I got no other choice. I got to call to God. Uh, uh, who knows? He probably got a little frustrated and upset. So, okay, God, you've already told me I'm going to be king, but the guy who currently holds the throne He keeps taking his shots and trying to take me out. And on the one hand, I'm thankful that he keeps missing. He keeps shooting his shot and missing. But I'm a little frustrated that you haven't stopped him from being able to shoot his shot. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. When we do that, we end up with Ziklag's. We can get to a certain point, but at some point we reach the end of ourselves and and our own wisdom and our own efforts will reach a dead end every time. I wish we didn't have to go through it that way, but ideally we would just uh, encourage ourselves and strengthen ourselves in the Lord from the very beginning. But uh, human nature, we don't always do that. But it said... David inquired of the Lord. This really confounds me, to be honest with you. As a man, as a husband, as a father, this let me know how repentant David really was in this moment. That he really learned his lesson of the last year and four months that running things himself instead of letting God lead and trusting God. Yeah, those hits might have continued to come. Saul might have continued to try and take his life, but David should have rested in the promise of God that all attempts would fail because God's call on his life was going to come to pass. 
But the evidence that he really repented of that and learned the lesson of his mistakes. His wife and his his wives and his kids have been taken captive by the enemy. An enemy whose wives were slaughtered by him and his men. So he's facing the his comeuppance for the way he's conducted himself the past year and a half. He brought this upon himself. And oftentimes we bring these things upon ourselves, right? So you can find hope in you can find hope through David's story that even when we bring things upon ourselves, God's grace is there if we will turn to him. God's mercy is there if we will turn to him. If we will yield it to him. And he so learned that lesson that when he inquired of the Lord, let's read it here. It says, he, this is what he asked God concerning his wife and children, wives and children who had been taken by the Amalekites. Shall I pursue after this band? You would think that that would be a given. You would think that he would make up his mind. I'm going after him. Okay, God, which direction should I go? I can't not go after them. So that's not a decision for God. I've got to go. What I want to do is ask God to help me in what I've decided to do. But wouldn't that have been the same thing he'd been doing for the past year and four months? Him doing his own thing and wanting God to bless it? So he, boy, I tell you what, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. That's what, there's so much to learn from that. He reflected back over this last year and four months. And implicit in his ability to strengthen himself in the Lord was him acknowledging his failures in his own strength. And maybe that's you. Maybe you are suffering some of the some of the fallout of decisions and choices that you've made. Maybe you're at a zigzag in your life right now. Well, David, and what David's life is instructive for you today. Because you're going to have to own the fact that you've been trying to run your own life, you've been running the show, you put yourself on God's throne in your life, and it's time to step off. Step off the throne and allow God to call the shots for you. He was so surrendered, he asked God if he should go or not, and God told him to go, and he would have great success. Uh, verse 10, David after he got that from God, he pursued. He and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. Verses 11 and 12, they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. I want to, 
There's a reason I pointed this out. Keep in mind what we just read here. David and his men just came to Ziklag and found their loved ones taken as slaves. By the enemy who he and his men have killed many of. He inquired of God as to whether he should pursue them. And God said, go and pursue. He is in the middle of the pursuit. And there, on the way, there is this man who they don't know this guy from Adam. They certainly don't have any reason to have a vested interest in his life or his well-being. And they've got bigger fish to fry. They've got, uh, they, they've got the most important of missions and objectives on their mind. They're trying to reclaim their wives and children. And yet, this poor man who is in need, they stop. To care for. You know, uh, that, that, re- that really moved me, that, that that compassion that they had in the middle of their own pain, in the middle of their desperation, in their desperate desire to reconnect with their loved ones, they still could take out the time. To bless a person who would have died without their aid. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know who he belonged to. They didn't know if this guy could help them or not, but they still took the time to feed him, to nurse him back to to health, to strengthen him and encourage him. You know, you could be in one of the worst moments of your life, but that does not mean that you cannot be a vessel of God's love, a vessel of his mercy, a a vessel of his grace and provision for someone else in need. God can still use you. Even if you're in the middle of consequences that are brought about by your own choices, it doesn't mean you're disqualified to be used by God. It doesn't mean you're exempt from being a dispenser of God's love to someone else. So even as they are pursuing and they have no idea where this camp is, they stopped and they did the thing that they knew honored God. They did the thing that that was obedient to what they knew the will of God is for all of those who, who, who follow him. Amen? And because they did this, let's check this out. Let's keep on reading. Verse 13, and David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the uh, uh, Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. Oh, my goodness. This guy that we've just nursed back to hell, he was there. He was a part. Now, he just said he was a part of all that they did. So he's one of the offenders. Now, after feeding him and nursing him back to hell, they could lay hands on him to death if they wanted to. 
But no, this is the providence of God. It's the providence of God that this man fell ill. It's the providence of God that this man's master was so harsh and uncaring that he left him behind to die. It's the providence of God that, that God restored David when David repented and inquired of him and said, pursue and sent him in the direction that he sent him in. This wasn't a happenstance meeting. This was all by design. But it only happens if you're walking in accordance with the design. So God said pursue. They're pursuing. God didn't say ignore any and everybody along the way. Don't, be, don't act like a Christian. Don't act like a believer in your pursuit. No, they still are responsible to God for practicing those one another's, right? And they did that. And so in the practicing of that, they get revelation they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Just imagine what it might have been like if that guy who was there, who had the information that they needed, they just ignored him and walked by him. Uh, it'd be hard to blame them because, hey, they ain't got time for this. Uh, it, I, I hate it for that guy, but he made his choices and he's probably, you know, he's probably getting his just desserts. You know, my wife and my children need me and, 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 and I'm going to get them regardless of who falls by the wayside along the way. So let's be mindful, even in our hurt, even in our struggle, let's still be focused on obeying God and the things that he's called us to do. Right? Because the answer to our prayers, right, the direction that we're seeking may be provided in the doing of those things, in the obedient doing of those things that God has called us to. So instead of justifying ungodly behavior and attitudes, we need to be committing ourselves to walking in those things regardless. Their commitment to walking in those things provided revelation. And David said to him, verse 15, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. You know, uh, I love reading that portion of it where David encouraged himself in the Lord and everything that happened after that. But to get the full understanding of what all transpired and the significance of it, significance of it, you know, it was important for me to go back and see everything that led up to that point. And that's, and, and I, I would encourage you all in that too, in your study. When you're, whatever these passages that we like to go through, that we like to go to, that are so inspiring, you know, 
let's get the whole story to see if we can't glean the journey, right? The ebbs and the flows, the peaks and the valleys, right? The, the, the godly acts and decisions and the not so godly acts and decisions and, and, and how God worked in us and worked in our lives in both. David is not a perfect man. David made some serious mistakes. He made very bad move in deciding to take his trust out of God's hands and put it in his own hands. That's what led him to his worst fears coming to pass there at Ziklag. He had He had concerns. He had fears. Nothing that could have happened to him had he not run from Saul. Nothing that could have happened to him in the land of God's people could have been as bad or worse than what happened to him in Ziklag. Sometimes the things that we try, when we take control of things, usually we're doing it because we're trying to protect or something or avoid something. It's a fear that we're trying to avoid. He feared for his life. But in taking that control in his own hands, he created a scenario that brought a worse fear into his life. And it put his loved ones in jeopardy. So I, wanted, I just want to challenge you What you're confronted with might be scary, and I, I, I wouldn't dare belittle that. It's easier for me to say than it is for you to walk it. But I can't stress enough to not allow your fears. Don't let your fears lead you. Don't let your fears guide your decisions. Don't let your fears cause you to take the trust you should be placing in God's hands out of his hands and putting them in your own hands. Whatever you hope to gain from that or whatever little bit you might gain from that, it's going to lead to a worse outcome. Unlike you, God sees the end from the beginning. Unlike you, God is omniscient. He's he's omnipotent, right? He's omnipresent. Unlike you, he's God. He's the one that's numbered your days. And guess what? No one or nothing can take you from this land or take you from this life before those days that God has numbered for you. Right? So, we don't we, we shouldn't fear. If we're in God's will, then okay, either whether this whether I survive this or this ends up being the death of me, either way I'm trusting that the will of God's gonna come to pass through this. And I don't have I don't have a reason to even fear death because I know about eternity. And I have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so uh So whatever your fears are, our fears tend to linger. Our fears tend tend, tend to 
weigh us down and whisper in our ears and, and tend to try and direct us and guide us in ways that would be contrary to God's will for our life. And we're going to have to tear those things down and decide that, as the saying says, come hell or high water, we're going to go with God. So in your distress, David was distressed. David strengthened himself. He realized and reminded himself the source of his strength. Um, When he was a shepherd boy, he didn't have strength to fend off the lion that wanted the sheep. God was his strength. When the bear came, he didn't have the strength. God was his strength. When Goliath came, the, the Philistine uh, champion mocking the armies of God and mocking their God. And all these great warriors of Israel, including the King Saul himself, were quaking in their boots. Young David knew that God was his strength. And he convinced the king to let me at him. I tell you what, this, this Philistine... Because God is on my side, because God is my strength, because God is my rock and my salvation, he shall be as the bear and the lion was when they came for the sheep. I will have his head. And so his confidence was in the Lord, his God. You know, and and sometimes along the way, uh, it doesn't discredit the, the great things that we do in God, but sometimes along the way, we lose our way. And we get rocked and we decide to take the wheel that should be in God's hand. But the encouragement in that is even though we suffer consequences, uh, even though we may cause the worst thing to come upon us, God's grace and mercy and his great love for us is available to us to pick us back up again and set our feet on solid ground. I'm going to end with a couple of verses here. Uh, One, uh, Isaiah 41, verses 8 to 10. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. That, that's the crux of it. Fear not, for I am with you. That's what David, he knew, but he forgot for a year and a half. Fear not. Saul's trying to take your life, but I'm with you. And we need to remind ourselves, otherwise, we will lead ourselves to our own ziklag in there. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. It's personalized. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. David, in that moment, took his fears and he gave them to God. He'd been carrying them for a year and four months, but he finally let the fear go and gave it to God and let God strengthen him. And maybe 
You need to come to that same realization today. You've been holding on to your fears. You've been managing everything because of your fears. You just need to give it to God and, and, and let God be the strength that you need. Uh, Isaiah 47, I mean 40, verses 27 and 29. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Think about I'm sorry, I got I to gotta stay here for a minute <laughs> because I've been here and I want y'all to know what he's saying here. He's like, these are God's people, Jacob, Israel. Why do you say, my gosh, my way is hidden from the Lord. I am going through all this and God is not there. He's not seeing it. He's not paying attention. He's missing it. He's not here for me. Why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by him. My rights, God should be making sure that what I'm entitled to, that I'm getting. And I've been getting the short end of the stick here. And I don't know what God is doing up there, but he sure ain't on his job when it comes to me. That, 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 that's what this is saying right here. And he's saying, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power or strength to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. You know, I think that first line in that verse stems back to what I said earlier about us praying to God, telling him what we don't want to go through. What we don't want him to let happen. And if it does, then we're like, oh, he doesn't listen. He's not paying attention. He doesn't care. Right? Instead of being willing to walk with God through what, if he wants you to go that path, then guess what? We just need to buckle up, set our face like Flint, and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it in faith. Uh, I can't walk that path in my own strength, so it, it, it's going to take you getting me through it. And God's like, that's what I'm talking about. Let's do this. I'm all you need. We're going to do this together. Amen? And I will uh, finish in First Peter 5. Verses 8 through 11. And uh, I'm reading this, but also take it as I am exhorting you and admonishing you to do this. Because this is what's going on here from Peter. Be sober minded, let's not be fear minded. Let's not be of weak mind, easily manipulated, and, and let someone control our emotions and thinking and everything. Be sober-minded, people of God. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm. Firm in your faith. 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's what's needed from us, y'all. It's needed. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be firm in the faith. We need to resist the devil's temptations to want to get us emotion-based, whether that's out of anger or fear or any other kind of emotion. We need to be firm in the faith so that when we take steps, we're taking steps in obedience to what God has said. When we're taking steps, we're taking steps in obedience to God's word, right? And so we can find our strength in him. There's a lot of things in our society that I wish that I could do away with, but we can waste time hoping and praying and waiting for stuff to be done away with, or we can learn how to walk with God in it and be a light in it and be a witness unto the Lord our God in it. Right? We don't need perfect circumstances. We don't even need circumstances to change. What we need to do is be sober-minded. We need to be firm in our faith. We need to resist what the devil wants to tempt us into. And we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And wherever we've taken the reins, wherever we've taken the wheel, wherever we've taken control of our lives, or we're operating in our own understanding, and, 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 and we're making the moves and, and, and making things happen, we need to stop that before we get to Ziklag. We need to, we need to uh, uh, bow the knee before God. And, and if God has convicted you in that way, you need to be dealing with that now. You should have been and done that. <laughs> you don't need me to call you up to do that. You can do that where you're sitting. The devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, but he's not a lion. Not to you, he isn't. But I like the fact that this passage talks about the struggle. The need to resist. Other it lines up with other passages. Fight the good fight of faith. Having done all to stand, stand. Fully armored up. I know there comes a time when we just don't want to fight. David didn't want to fight. He didn't want to watch his back anymore. And he reached the end of all that. And it made him make a decision. Not of faith but out of fear and self-preservation. Even the smart decisions we think we make, if God is not directing them, it's foolishness. But it talks about resisting, staying firm in the faith, 
what you're suffering what you're experiencing you have brothers and sisters around the world going through the same things it's not just you and God is going to let you go through some struggle he's going to let you go through some hardship it's our responsibility to see it in truth for what it is not to get mad not to get offended but to see that if God is letting us go through it there is purpose in it We may not understand what it is, but there's purpose in it. And we're going to have to be okay with not understanding, at least for a season. We're going to have to find our strength in him. In his goodness, like the song, one of the songs, uh, lyrics of the song, one of the songs that we sang. His goodness, his faithfulness. And he promises after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Would you please stand? Father God, I pray that you bless your people, Lord. I I thank you that you are ever watchful. Thank you that you're looking out for us, that you are our defender. No one can defend us like you can. You are also our warrior. The battle is not ours, but the Lord's. The victory does not belong to us, but to the Lord. It is he who wins us the victory. We just need to stand. We just need to stay firm in the faith. We need to strengthen ourselves in you, oh God. And I thank you, Lord, for convicted hearts, repentant hearts. Thank you, Father God, for if today is someone's ziklag, where they come to that realization, I've been doing it wrong. I've been running away from what God has actually called me to. And I hope that they're yielding right now. Repenting. Whatever it is you have for them to go through, I pray they go through it in faith. Trusting you through it all. Knowing full well that you after they've suffered, after they've gone through the trial, the testing of their faith, it shall be as pure gold. You will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish them. I thank you for that, Lord, and I give you glory and praise. And in Jesus' name we say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God. God bless you.